Deoxyribonucleic acid, one of the building blocks of life outside of the force. All biological living creatures are built using the nanoscopic material and blueprints laid out in the signature of their unique species that make them what and who they are. From the lowliest Kowakian monkey lizard to the Duingoin star dragons, the very essence of life is written in these organic signatures. But what if technology were developed to harness the very power of life, to shape it, sell it, and manipulate it with intent? Biological engineering has been a practice used by many species throughout galactic history. It has been used as a tool for survival, a method to create profit, or as a means to enhance quality of life. It has also been weaponized, used to control and to enslave. It can be as simple as breeding livestock and plants for higher yields, or desired traits on the plains of Naboo, to the complicated microscopic work of cellular engineering and replication in the sterile halls of Camino. Genetic Engineering Genetic engineering is a useful form of biotechnology that can be used to modify existing living cells to achieve a desired outcome. Selective breeding is the simplest method of genetic engineering, often used by less advanced species to produce better crops and desired traits in their livestock. In some cases, breeding programs were used by sentient species for similar effect. The insectoid Geonosians were known for their naturally evolved hive-like social structure with its own somewhat biologically derived strata, casts being born and sorted via their physical attributes such as wings, etc. However, a lesser known fact was that Geonosians further modified by way of engineering and selective breeding to reinforce the traits of their drone classes, leading to subcasts, including farmers, makers, general labor, service, and warrior subtypes, among others. The Sith were notorious for the eugenics programs resulting in the caste system and hierarchical social structure favoring, quote, full bloods but also resulting in numerous Sith subspecies with varying traits. The creation of the Masasi warriors was in part due to a breeding program, but also thanks to dark Sith alchemy 
used to pervert the species' genetics to create hulking brutes to serve as slaves to future dark lords. The Nimodian species, not typically known to undertake frontline combat duties, preferring others to fight for them, did maintain a small soldiery force. Some of these soldiers were drafted into a secret experiment known as the Brute Program, often against their will. These genetically engineered soldiers were heavily muscled, tall and prone to violent outbursts. They were often held in stasis to be unleashed in the most dire circumstances, and often to be deadly warriors. The Republic Livestock and Agricultural Administration had increased various animal and crop yields through a mixture of both traditional breeding and artificial genetic manipulation to help feed the ever-growing galactic population. Private corporations such as GeneSculpt and Theragene had also made lucrative ventures into microtechnology and gene therapy. The Arcanian Dominion, KP's Consortium, and Chiss Ascendancy have all engaged in genetic tampering. Anything from breeding programs to the development of variants and subspecies. While best known for their work as cloners and producing such marvels as the Grand Army of the Republic, Kaminoans had first mastered their genetic manipulation and craft on themselves thus giving them the expertise they would later capitalize on. When their homeworld was struck by disastrous flooding, the species was pushed to the brink of extinction. It was here that they used the tools of genetic engineering, cloning, and selective breeding to bring their species back from the precipice of annihilation. Their work had left them as brutal utilitarians and intolerant perfectionists, cheapening their views on life as mere products, objects, and subjects. Kaminoans were quick to euthanize those that did not meet their high standards and eradicate whatever they deemed as imperfections without remorse. Despite their cruelty, their ability to produce high-quality clones and tailored genes to suit whatever purpose they desired was second almost to none. Cloning Technology Cloning was a practice that has had a wide range of applications. From the replication of lesser copies to fulfill undesirable tasks, to some of the most elite and indispensable combat personnel in the galaxy, and even to produce vessels to extend mortal existence, cloning technology was as useful as the skill of those who produced the clones can make it. The Grand Army of the Republic is perhaps the greatest testament to the capabilities of cloning technology at a vast scale. The Army of Millions was able to challenge the Confederacy of Independent Systems with a droid army that numbered in the Quintillions, along with their biological military components. 
made from the genetic material of the Mandalorian bounty hunter Jango Fett, bred for combat since childhood, trained by the most deadly warriors, and altered to make them soldiers through and through. This was not without its cost, however, both in time, credits, and even morality. Despite their accelerated growth, their production was still measured in years. Each clone was an investment of time, training, and credits, costing the Republic a fortune. Further, despite the stance of the Republic fighting for liberty, it used an army of individuals whose liberty was curtailed and sold as a product to fight and die for those same alleged values. A much less reliable form of cloning was the automated Sparty cloning system. This method used a cylinder to flash produce a clone in a much shorter amount of time than had personalities uploaded or otherwise flash pumped into the clone's brains. While grown much quicker, results are not as good as clones grown with more technique and trained from birth to learn and gain experiences naturally. Growing a clone too quickly ran the risk of developing clone madness, an acute form of psychosis. During the end of the Clone Wars, the Republic began augmenting their clones with the Sparty cloned variants at the behest of Emperor Palpatine, who had ulterior motives for these non-Kaminoan variants. The Empire would also augment its Stormtrooper Corps with vat-grown clones, though clone madness and lower quality results led the Empire to move towards traditional recruitment. Clones were also used for personal purposes. If one was wealthy enough to purchase one and could be used for menial labor or as body doubles for the eccentric upper classes to attend events or reduce threats to their purpose. Though handmaids and close approximations could also serve similar purposes for a fraction of the cost, though the practice was broadly frowned upon and highly regulated by the empire. One noted limitation of cloning technology was its interaction with Force users, which never resulted in reliable outcomes and often ended with catastrophic results. It was the cause and the bane of many a genetic scientist to solve the riddle of the Force and often lent itself to radical and torturous experimentation. The Empire had been successful in at least a small number of experiments, such as the cloning of Darth Vader's secret apprentice, Galen Merrick, as well as the clones of Jarrus Kaboth, Luke Skywalker, and Sheev Palpatine himself. Some species were wholly dependent on cloning, such as the Kong, who believed to have reached the pinnacle of civilization, froze all progress and development, choosing to make their entire population static. In order to maintain the continued conformity and lack of evolution, the Kong relied on cloning to reproduce, so that, after a time, all currently living Kong were clones of past generations. Aside from their scientific forms of genetic manipulation, the Sith also practice a form of biomancy that encompassed everything 
from altering already living things, such as the fearsome Tarantatic, to manipulating midichlorians to produce life itself, as the case with Anakin Skywalker. Sith also manipulated poisons to enhance their effects or precisely target individuals. They could also use the force to draw, drain the life energy of others and enhance their own physical attributes. Though the Jedi have been known to use similar force techniques to influence biology, though usually more temporarily. Other force users, along with the Sith, used methods more akin to witchcraft than science to achieve their desired results. Savage Opress, a Zabrak from Dathomir, and brother of the fearsome Sith warrior Darth Maul, had been chosen by the Night Sisters to undergo a ritual that enhanced his physical capabilities and cloud his mind, turning the warrior into a hulking mass of muscle, extending his natural horns and giving him unnatural resilience. The Night Sisters also employed similar force techniques to reanimate the decaying flesh of their sisters to serve as mindless zombies. Technology. Perhaps the greatest example of mastery over biological engineering are the Yuzon Vong. Spawned from the living sentient planet Yuzon Tar and reaching out to galaxies outside of their own, the Yuzon Vong despised inorganic technology. Their faith prohibited its use, and so the species had to engineer everything they used. From the living symbiotic suits of armor, to their interstellar spacecraft, to the Vong themselves, all biological material was grown and shaped to fulfill its purpose. Of course, the Vong would disavow the use of the world technology for its implications, derived from the rabid technophobia, preferring the word biote in reference to their organic material. Their methods proved formidable, bringing the galaxy to its knees. They had the ability to terraform whole planets and their spacecraft, from the massive Korostrona world ships to the small fighter Coral Skipper, would have been grown from biological matter. Their factories would grow their weapons, armor, and warcraft rather than manufacture them, and like all living things, had to be fed and would eventually age and die. Yorick Coral was the staple material for the larger spacecraft and could be found growing on worlds previously invaded by the Vong, such as deep in the undercity of Coruscant. It is unclear whether some species utilize biotechnology, however. The Mon Calamari are known to use technology that, at the very least, resembles organic matter, but it is unclear if it is simply the product of replicating the functionality observed in the natural world, or if it is in fact the result of using biological compounds in their work. Similarly, the aquatic species of Corin, who shared the Moncala homeworld, used similar designs. The organic gill, however, was a Moncala invention, 
a symbiotic life form that sentients could use to help them to breathe underwater. The symbiotes also allowed other components to be installed into them, such as comlinks and other gadgets. Because of the organic nature of those devices, they only had lifespans of about a month before they perished and had to be replaced. Another amphibious species, the Gungans, were known to use a mysterious blue goo as a basis for energy and technology that was mined though it is unclear if there is a biological component to this viscous substance. There were other species who also used biotechnology as well. However, it is often overshadowed by the galaxy's inorganic options, feeling niche roles, and weren't always widely adopted. That isn't to say that some such technology did not find wider use, such as items like the gill. One biotechnology that had proved universal and invaluable was Bacta. This cure-all medicine was derived from bacterial particles suspended in a fluid known as ambori. Since before the time of the Old Republic, biological weapons have been a staple of galactic conflict. Weaponized disease had been used by many groups across many conflicts. One notable extragalactic civilization was known for causing its own extinction by way of a plague bomb. The last known vessel, a mechno-organic sentient ship and its xenopilot, were the only survivors of the weapon that had wiped out their civilization. Dragon's Breath, Hex, or Trihexalon, was a caustic bioweapon of mass destruction that rendered all biomatter down to simple biomass. It could be unleashed on whole populations or key to specific and individual DNA. The deadly substance was banned by the Republic, though it would later be used by Imperial scientists as a disinfectant in case of lab accidents or escapes that required the ultimate level of sanitation. During the Clone Wars, the Separatist forces attempted to weaponize the Blue Shadow Virus and Leodorvian Brain Plague to destroy their adversaries. The Grand Army of the Republic was a cloned and engineered force of highly specialized, deadly and resilient soldiers, and could very well be classed as biological weapons in their own right. The Galactic Empire was notorious for its many military development programs and paid no heed to the expense of the development of its bioweapon arsenal. From engineering plagues to other experimentations, the Empire sought to weaponize everything. The Empire even devoted a whole corp to the Imperial Corps of engineer, bioengineers, even while banning and highly restricting the practice for the wider galaxy after the Clone Wars. 
nano destroyers were a class of artificial viruses that were key to specific individuals' genetic codes, perfect for assassinations with undetectable delivery and minimizing collateral damage. The cliff wampas were the result of genetic experimentation of the ruthless wampa predator that stalked the ice fields of Hoth. These variants were adapted to surviving on the edges of cliffs and served the empire as guard pets to dissuade prying rebel eyes. They resembled their natural counterparts, save for the brown fur rather than the typical white that served as camouflage on their native world. During the rise of the Diversity Alliance, a humanophobic group of aliens had found an old imperial weapon, the Emperor's Plague, which would have been used to exterminate all humanity had they not been stopped by the Jedi of the New Republic. Both the Republic and Yuzhan Vong deployed bioweapons against each other, targeting the unique genetics of each other's species as well as the flora and fauna of their worlds. Many years later, during the Sith rule of the One Sith, Darth Maladai, an toxicology expert and scientist, was able to weaponize a Yuzhan Vong virus to destroy the terraforming efforts on formerly Vong-conquered worlds. The same Sith forces and Maladai herself would be implicated in other bioweapons, including the hyperlethal Omega Red pathogen, derived from Alpha Red, which itself was refined from Baffor tree pollen, which had been used against the Yuzhan Vong, and whose Sith-inspired variant was used to threaten Coruscant itself in the future. Bioweapons have broad use as pathogens, having been used routinely for genocide while keeping infrastructure intact, or can be used so subtly that they are locked to an individual's genetic code, used to eliminate them covertly and discreetly. Thanks for flying with us. Jordan here. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lords podcast. Star Lords is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lords Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out with a DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lores podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fictions, and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon. So if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server, 
head on over to patreon.com forward slash star lores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show. Everybody, welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon. This is Christian. This is Jordan. We are currently hovering over beautiful fields of uh, backed-up producing world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not... Uh... Uh, uh, like a, a plague-ridden world. <laughs> no, this time <laughs> with we've nauseous come, gases. We've come for healing and uh, a safe retreat instead of the dangerous situations we always seem to find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we're talking about biotechnology, which, interestingly enough, is a very big real-world interest of mine. I'm not by any means any kind of real-life bioscientist or anything like that, but I do have a more than a passing interest, and I've read my fair share of random articles on current biotech, and it's... It's like a pretty crazy field. Fascinating and terrifying all yeah. at the same time. And I feel like some of the uh, bioweapons ideas that you covered in, in, in Star Wars... Um, were probably lifted from like real. Yeah, world that's actually idea. one thing I did. I was, Conceptually, anyway, I was trying to figure out like what came first, the real yeah. life thing or like the sci-fi thing that someone made into real. Life. I I feel like the authors who wrote it probably maybe. I'm sure that like hasn't bioweapon like a lot of these bioweapon ideas been like in development? Yeah, but how, like since the 60s. Sure, but were they public in the 60s? I, I don't know. Right, it's hard to say. Um. Funnily enough, this is kind of off topic, but that's what we're known for. Uh, <laughs> the The whole Star Wars was actually inspired by a real life government program called Star Wars by uh, California Republican, very famous McCarthy. No, conservative circles. Uh, actor Reagan. Yes, yeah. thank you. <laughs> uh, Reagan's Star Wars plan, which was to develop orbital satellites to turn them into weapons yeah and they called it the star wars project oh okay and that's where was this a well reagan was president in 82 was this while he was president yeah now i'm thinking maybe it was nixon i don't know i'm not a huge american history but yeah because star wars came out i gotta google it (laughs) the first movie came out in 77 so it was like five years before reagan so they named the initiative after the movie. Ah. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> they were inspired by yeah. George Lucas. Right. So which, which came first, the real life weapons or the uh, fictional universe it's true, weapons? Yeah. It's a chicken or egg question. Um, were they making a Death Star too? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if you look into the CIA's files, you'll find something. You always find Gotta something. Gotta get those filthy commies somehow. <laughs> Blow up the whole planet. Yeah. <laughs> they reduced the world's rate of communism to absolute zero. <laughs> um, <coughs> no. <coughs> okay, kind of back on topic again. Biotechnology. Uh, one thing I kind of want to get out of the way right away, cybernetics. Cyber- cybernetics are definitely classed as a form of biotechnology, but they're more the fusion of inorganic with organic material. For this episode, we kind of wanted to stick with the organic material theme. So purposefully omitted cybernetics, even though they do play a huge role in Star Wars, as we know, and cybernetics themselves could and may become a full episode. I think we did one. We did a whole episode on cybernetics already. 
I can't remember. Yeah, we did. We, yeah. we even went over like all the different things that Vader has going on and Grievous. And, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you see it like even the movies, people's limbs constantly get replaced with yeah. robotics. Um, so, yeah, just kind of wanted to get that out of the way. Cybernetics definitely can be classed as a form of biotechnology, but for the purposes of this conversation, we're just going to leave that on the table there. Although I will say now, I guess um, I do find it odd. I didn't. I would have thought they would have had some kind of program for growing back biological limbs, which mm. we very much know isn't the case because so many people do use robotic pieces that they replace limbs with. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a cool sci-fi concept that's been played around with. Like in Spider-Man is the most notable thing that comes to my forefront. Mm. Um, the lizard, his whole, yeah. I, I forget the Well, like Wolverine too can grow back yeah. limbs. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, but um, specifically like the lizard, because yeah. this plays into a Star Wars concept here in a second. Um, Dr. Connors is trying to grow back his missing arm, which inspires this whole research that ends up turning him into the monster. Inspired by real world lizards that can regrow limbs like right. tails and things like that. And that regenerative ability is reflected in the yeah, Trandoshan. Like salamanders do that, right? Yeah. yeah. And other, there's other lizard species oh, there, that can okay. grow back certain yeah. certain things, but not all lizards. No, yeah, no, it's not universal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so don't mutilate your lizards. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, the Trandoshan. My Komodo dragon no longer has a tail. <laughs> the fact that you own a Komodo dragon is concerning. I don't. <laughs> not anymore. Not after what you did to it. You tried to cut it in half and grow it into two Komodo dragons. <laughs> Uh, no, the Trandoshans. It's like, it's like a zygote. It like starts <laughs> splitting starts every, every time you split the cell. No. But the Trandoshan species, who are, are Star Wars lizards, do grow back their limbs. Yeah. Uh, obviously inspired by that same kind of theme. And I'm wondering if it's possible for them to do something in Star Wars where they like take that ability and try to replicate it in other species. Or splice that gene into other species through, you know, genetic engineering. Yeah. So just quick kind of side thought that I had while I was writing this episode was like limb growing back would be a pretty cool, not out of like not too crazy for Star Wars, but also very much something we clearly see isn't the case because people are using cybernetics. Yeah. Um, and if it is a case, maybe there's like a pro con thing going on where maybe you grow back a lizard limb instead of your normal hand. So maybe you're better off with a cybernetic. You could at least cover and synth skin or something like that. Yeah. Or yeah, just some meandering thoughts. I noticed you um, included uh, in the, you were writing the script, um, you included biomancy as a, is that, do you think that really falls under biotechnology? Do you consider magic science? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's hard question. to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a fair, fair point. I guess I, like the way I was conceiving of it was that it's like enhancing the biological form. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily, it's genetic engineering. Right. Someone is willfully applying some form of that's true. You can knowledge genetically, to manipulate yeah. your body. So right. that's kind of the vein that I was thinking of it in. So maybe biotechnology isn't the right word, but definitely bioengineering. That's true. Yeah. You so, can definitely enhance biologically like, yeah, change DNA structures. Uh, yeah. Through, through and even, the force. even things as simple as, yeah, like enhancing like your ability to resist a poison or a toxin or, 
you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure Jedi can like flood their systems with adrenaline on command or mm-hmm. some other chemical compound that makes them more alert or more able to do superhuman feats. Right. Yeah. Um, and we see this, we see them do it pretty routinely. So yeah, I guess I was thinking more genetic manip- or biological manipulation, yeah. which there are a myriad of force techniques that allow you to do. Yeah. And I think we'll kind of delve into those in their own force. No, techniques you know, episode. I, I- I think, um, yeah, I think that can fit into bioengine. It's not biotechnology, but it is bioengineering. Yeah. 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 Good question. (laughs) (laughs) I accept. (laughs) You accept my answer. (laughs) Um, One thing that comes up a lot is this idea of selective breeding and eugenics programs. And it always comes back to the same kind of strata system, like, it always develops into this very hierarchical structure, obviously written within very negative light. Uh, things like the Arcanians, the Geonosians. Um, yeah, it just, these breeding programs turn into like very rigid caste systems and they just kind of follow the same template with so many different species. Just yep. something I was just going to draw some attention to. To me, when I was writing it, it sounded repetitive. Maybe it's bigger in my head because I was writing it than it came off in the episode, but it is a, a recurring pattern. The Sith, the Sith are the biggest example of this, but yeah. yeah. And then obviously they go into purity spirals and you get like very yeah. nazi uh, connotations tied with it whenever they do that, obviously. Um, it is like, a, I mean, obviously there's huge ethical questions about... Um, Eugenics programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eugen- or even just like selective breeding, you know, yeah. like not necessarily taking people out of the, <coughs> uh, out of the gene pool, but just like stopping their ability. Yeah. And I mean, some horrifying real world facts on that, like even in Alberta, a very, you know, not many people know about our province. It's not like a world stage. Alberta, kind of, Canada. Yeah. The fact <laughs> that we have to qualify it with yeah. what country we in, we're in. Um, we had a eugenics program as recently as I believe the seventies or eighties where they were sterilizing people of a certain IQ level. Yeah. So like, it doesn't necessarily have to be concentration camps and extermination. It can be preventing you from breeding. It can be forced abortion. It can be not letting you have a partner or a mate. Like there's all, there's many ways to enforce eugenics. And I believe that was like that. I think it, it deserves mentioning that was like disproportionately applied to like indigenous people in yeah. Canada and different, that, yeah, that poor people, different groups, yeah. underprivileged groups. Um, and obviously as horrific as that is in and of itself, a lot of people who even weren't that didn't fall into uh, certain IQ levels were sterilized anyways. Yeah. Right. Well, you, you know, um, a lot of people don't like really realize this, but eugenics was very popular at one time in uh like western society yeah especially in the in like the 20s like among academics and stuff it was like a very, yeah like in your university yeah classes, this was, this was, it was like it. a very open common belief and like thing that was just like um sort of almost accepted as yeah. this is what should be the policy going forward and i think it really was the the bad stench of uh, the Holocaust that sort of put people the, off the of Nazi it. regime that yeah. like actually turned us against it. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, it, yeah, it's just like, uh, but there's still to this day, there are people who um, are sort of like utilitarians and, and uh, advocate for eugenics, but yeah. 
and, but and, not not to the extreme. I don't think that. Yeah. It once well, was. so here's another. Sorry, this episode gets pretty dark, but we are talking about no. Bio, it's for the topic I bioengineering and in reality. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so a, a huge ethical question is the eradication of certain uh, genetic disorders. Um, right. I believe it was Iceland who was like very proud not that long ago. I think it was like as early as 2006, maybe later. Um, they were proud that they eradicated, uh, I believe it was Down syndrome in their population. And that's what the headlines read is like, we've essentially quote unquote cured Down syndrome. <laughs> well, it turns out the cure was just aborting anyone yeah. that had it. Right. Yeah. You can also, uh, cure COVID-19. <laughs> you can cure a lot of disease, everybody. just like communism. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can cure a lot of diseases just by eradicating the population. Yeah. yeah so it is, uh, yeah, it's an effect. But the way theory. it was being framed was absolutely horrifying. And so yeah, recently too. 100%. And then when you actually do some digging, you realize they didn't cure genetic disorders. They just killed the people that had them. Yeah. yeah. So it does raise. Or, a, yeah. Yeah. Aborted them. Yeah. Aborted yeah. them early on. Um, and there are lots of like, down syndrome rights groups who are yeah. absolutely horrified at that right like who are you to decide they don't have a right to live um early on so yeah i think uh, me too as someone who um i i've had a past career in like working with people with special needs and stuff and it it is kind of horrifying and i have worked with many people with down syndrome and it's like <laughs> to me it's like very i find it deeply offensive that that's like a sort of an option often that's put on the table uh for people to to you know that they sh- don't deserve a life because of uh, some Genetic sort of condition, condition that they're yeah. they're born with right like uh you know down syndrome people can live very full and meaningful lives uh um but not to get too um ideological here but like it is uh i think i i can see why a lot of people would have strong feelings about it. Yeah, know? absolutely. If if nothing else, at least makes you yeah question. Right? It, yeah, it, even if it, it if you are like someone who thinks that that is okay, I think you like if you're not like asking serious ethical questions <laughs> about why that is okay, you know. Yeah, and, and at least but, be self reflective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this got very dark very quick. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <clears throat> Anyways, yeah. Um, kind of back to Star Wars, I guess. <laughs> this- I do. Sorry, on that topic too. I know, like in nature, like often many different kinds of many different species will just abandon their young. If you know, if a young has some kind of birth deformity or like humans the, were doing it not that long. Yeah, ago yeah, either. exactly. Yeah, it's only because of our wealth that like we really don't do yeah. that anymore. We, we're capable. We're able to take care of sort of the the least among us, if you will. Yeah, but uh, rigid, rigid caste systems. Yeah, <laughs> you can also see kind of real life r- reflections on that as well. Um, obviously, with a lot of colonial, um, racial, quote unquote, science, often created these kind of like maybe informal caste systems. Obviously, you have like a native population of whatever place, and then the a European power that was dominating it. And then you also have, in modern context, contexts, societies that do and have caste systems and, you know, very rigid rules around that. And so I guess what I'm trying to get at is that, like, th- this pattern seems to 
arise from that kind of ideology. Yeah. And that's obviously what the authors are getting at with having these species that go down this route of eugenics and, yeah. and caste structure, it kind of like pigeonholes individuals, curtails their individual liberties yeah. and forces them into roles, right? Societal yeah. roles and functional roles based on whatever the species traits are. Yeah. Yeah. Caste systems are like super weird too. Um, even in like, say like the British monarchy, like, uh, incest was very common and, and yeah. it, like not being allowed to marry outside of a very small group of people. So it like limited your obvious breeding your potential. Mating, yeah, yeah. Mating choices. So often it, it wasn't always like direct siblings, but often first or second cousins. Yeah. Were, and if, even if you escape the genetic, uh, Russian roulette. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're still adding more bullets every time you do it. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, <laughs> eventually it will catch up with you. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But that that is sort of like a, a more longer term, almost bioengineering, uh, uh, tactic. You know, because like they're they're sort of like often with caste systems, you can actually create almost separate ethnic groups, you know, over a long enough period of time. And like, they'll start talking differently. They'll, they'll develop different ways of speaking different dialects, you know, and they'll split off like from the rest of the, the population they live, they sort of live with. So, um, it it is kind of interesting, the whole caste system. And it, I think it does have a lot to do with like evolutionary biology and stuff. Uh, the reasons why people would do them. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, some one group in star Wars that kind of comes out of that. that I did find kind of strange are the Geonosians. So they do have a fairly, their caste system is surprisingly not as rigid. Uh, individuals can, I guess, rise above whatever class they were born into. Um, Within certain constraints, so like certain groups can mer- go into other gr- higher groups, maybe not necessarily anyone from any group could trans transfer between. But the odd thing is that they are a hive species, right? And they breed through queens who essentially give birth to, you know, whatever role you're going to become and whatever traits you have that put you into that role. And in in real life. Typically, species that do have a hive system, you know, like bees or ants or a colony, um, have a single or a couple of birthing units, yeah, queens, and then the rest of the species do fulfill the roles because they're very uniquely like you'll never find a worker ant to become a queen. They're just not right. biologically capable of ascending, right? Yeah, despite whatever will they may or may yeah. not have, which arguably in a hive system, like they don't even have free will, whereas yeah, gene oceans do. Right, right. But the caste system there is, is is so deeply biological that you can't really even escape it, even if you wanted to. But they can. Genotions okay. can. But but I'm saying with like typical hive species. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is the odd thing is that yeah, there are hive species, but individuals can transcend within right. their society, which is not typical. Because yeah, you again, a worker ant would never become a queen. Could never become a drone. Yeah, but. With genotions, they can, but the odd thing is, like, all, selective breeding. And I, again, I'm not, you know, a ant colony expert, <laughs> but how does selective breeding work in a situation where you have one 
queen giving birth to everyone. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm. I actually don't know how that works. Perhaps it's it's sort of like it's like the male female ratio in humans. Like it, it's just random, but it kind of comes out roughly even. You know. Yeah. Um, it could be. You know. You have enough queens and enough. Yeah, the, the queens just give birth to random uh, roles. Um, yeah. And it kind of, <laughs> at the end of the day, it kind of hits an equilibrium, you know. But I don't, I'm, I actually Maybe, have no yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sure no Star Wars author has sat down <laughs> and really hammered this out. But I do think the Geonosians, they, they need maybe to be developed a little more to. Yeah. And they're a very interesting species because they, yeah, like when you see them on script and when you hear that they're a, a hive species, you almost think, oh, they're not really individuals. They don't really have free will, maybe. Yeah. Or at least very limited capacity for free will. Yeah. But then it turns out when you read about it and you read about like certain um, gene oceans who've ascended the ranks and like people like Poggle the Lesser and they have like titles and right. real names and they're individuals. You're kind of like, it's kind of strange to see that like dichotomy of hive versus individualism yeah and that it both actually exists in this species um yeah it was just an interesting thought and maybe we'll come back to geonosians and do a whole like deep dive on the species as a whole and maybe explore that further maybe some of our questions are buried in the text and we'll (laughs) discover it together indeed Yeah. yeah um more broadly huge fan of the clone army i'll bring this up every time i mention them uh very cool um, super soldier training program. Uh, but the true cost of a clone army, I think is very much understated. Um, or you essentially raise your army of child soldiers without, which were shown in the TV shows now, actually to have more free will than even probably what they were initially conceived to have. Yeah. And they're more than just copies of the same person. And they're more than just automatons that are robbed of individual thought. And are essentially gang pressed into military service for a republic that does not recognize them as people, their products being sold. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so again, probably when we delve into the Grand Army of the Republic episode, we'll mention that again. But (laughs) clones are my favorite faction. I love everything about them. But I also think there's some really heavy moral questions that I think are totally missed in the in the text or in the shows. Yeah. That would be very cool to see that, to see like maybe the Republic was just so far gone that they're willing to do anything to keep themselves together. Yeah. And then I become more, con- I'm, I'm more sympathetic to the con- Confederacy of independent systems who are just trying to live, you know, well, we don't want to be part of your corrupt Republic anymore. And the Republic is like, no, you have to be, yeah. we'll kill you to make you <laughs> stay. And we're going to use our slaves to keep your freedoms. Right. Like, <laughs> Just the op, the idea of like those opposite ideas being held simultaneously is very interesting. Um, yeah, I'll never not mention that whenever someone talks to me about clones. Love clone troopers, though. Absolutely coolest faction in Star Wars ever. <coughs> um, just kind of talking about the bioweapons here. Some of it that sounds super sci-fi, like weapons that are key to individual genetic codes, and some of the more horrifying implications of king it to whole groups of people um is something that is currently being explored by yeah that's why i was, I was kind of mentioned it earlier a little bit yeah. but yeah that 
go on. Yeah, it's just it seems like a technology that seems so science fiction that you know someone just made it up like a lightsaber, but it it's actually being explored. It's actually being you know researched, researched, and, and whether like how far along they are, whether or not it's even gonna be plausible at the end. Or do they already have it? Or do they already have it? And yeah. They haven't told anyone. I, yeah. I I I lean more towards if they already have it. Yeah, they would be using it. Yeah. Um. But the fact that they're even doing research into that. Yeah. Is kind of a scary thought. It, this is like I think the nuclear weapons stage of bioweapons, where like should we be doing this? Is right. this something that? Why Why would you want to exterminate a whole group of people? This is my first question to you. <laughs> it's right? true. Of a certain genetic background, right? Like you, you do wonder, though, with that kind of research, is there like some positive benefits you can learn from it? Like, yeah. Yeah, I think you, it could lead towards like eradicating diseases and sure, certain, yeah. like certain groups of people are prone to or things like that. Yeah. Or eliminating genetic disorders without right, killing right. the people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, it's possible. I think. Well, it's same thing with nuclear energy, right? Yeah. Nuclear yeah. energy. That's what this, is. Yeah. Exactly. The same the dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah. Like nuclear energy is the most efficient, the least polluting energy we are capable of doing, which is highly efficient. Yeah. And yet, it's capable of immense destruction if turned into weapons. Right. Yeah. Same thing with biotechnology. We can use it to try and cure diseases. We can use it to extend our life for you know. Yeah, do all kinds of crazy things, mm-hmm. but we can also turn it into weapons to wipe out humanity. Yeah, and knowing humanity, <laughs> that seems to be the, <coughs> the direction we typically go in. Yeah, I I've also heard <coughs> I can't remember where where I heard this, but I do remember hearing about um, like possibly using bioweapons on like certain insect species that can wipe out yeah. crops. So they've and, they've and, even already started. Uh, doing that, they've released biologically engineered mosquitoes. Oh, okay, okay. To try and eradicate the like malaria. malaria. Yeah, yeah. Which malaria, incidentally, is a huge killer. Oh, I yeah, think it yeah. is the number one killer of humans. Full oh, stop. Really? Okay. Ever in history. Yeah. yeah. That many people die from malaria. Um, I believe. Don't quote me on that. Maybe <laughs> it's heart disease or cancer, but it's it's high up there. It's ridiculously yeah. high that people don't realize. Um. Right. So that could be the case. The other thing, too, is I think humans are far from the genetic experts to tamper with these things without fully realizing the consequences of what we might be doing. So even though it's a noble goal, yeah, we may screw things up worse than we realize. Yeah, it's such when you're dealing with complex systems. It's, yeah, like there, there's so many. <laughs> I feel like there's so many things that could possibly go wrong. The yeah. variables are so impossible to calculate. Uh, yeah, to yeah. calculate and, and prepare for. So, yeah, it's a uh, yeah. To me, even the it's benefits, a dangerous game. It's a terrifying thought. Yeah. yeah, to me, to me, like nuclear energy is a little more straightforward in terms of like the risks and the benefits. Yeah, uh, you can you can at least see the horizons. Yeah, yeah, like you know straight up what the risks are. Um, and you know, and what steps you can do to mitigate them. Yeah. Yeah. But with bio, like, but biologically engineering a a species to be sort of less dangerous, we don't know what the ripple effects of that. Right. Exactly. When you release them into the environment. Yeah. What might happen if another species that preys on them, what happens, right? All these knock on effects and domino effects. Yeah. I, I know one big field of research, actually, which a lot of people believe is like very close to to having some breakthroughs is um engineering viruses uh to cure cancer yeah um 
And that's like another big field of research. It sounds very promising, <laughs> but again, yeah. What if they're developing a virus that escapes? Yeah, <laughs> you know, gives you super cancer. Yeah, yeah. It gives everyone super cancer. Yeah, you, like you contract it, it just by touching somebody. Right. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it if it spreads, if it establishes itself in the population, it could have catastrophic. Yeah. Effects. How do you stop? Like that? we have no idea. Yeah. Um, and then when it gets away from a very controlled environment, I know what you do. Nukes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nuclear weapons are yeah. the solution to biological weapons. We we gotta. We got to go rack ghoul on them. <laughs> just exterminate. Yeah, just, just wipe them out. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, a lot of material. Very interesting. The broader implications. Worth exploring, worth looking into. Has potential for great, great changes for civilization and, you know, hopeful future, but also that dark possibility of like, what's the worst that could happen. Right. Yeah. And is it worth it? Even crazy enough, as much as cancer sucks, was it worth risking killing everybody? Right. right yeah. Yeah. If you so, accidentally make a virus. That, yeah. That is like unbelievably deadly and infectious. Yeah. And just worse yeah. than the thing that you're trying to solve. Right? Yeah. So yeah, science. Does it have limits? <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer is astoundingly no. <clears throat> Actually, uh, is it Michael Crichton? Crichton? Writer Crichton. of Jurassic Park? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He I people who don't realize this, Jurassic Park is actually a very philosophical book. Um that maybe doesn't there's elements of it in the movie for sure, and I absolutely love the movie. But there are definitely a lot of questions in that 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 uh, Michael Christian Christian. I think it's Crichton. Crichton. Yeah, I've heard it pronounced different ways. That's why oh, I'm really? trying to like amalgamate them into yeah. one. Anyways, the author of Jurassic Park <laughs> that he tries to ask his questions and like you know exactly that you know should should science right yeah. even if science could yeah right? are there, yeah are there avenues of science that you should even explore yeah or should we should just, just kind of yeah put a lid on it, it off the table yeah and just say no we're not willing yeah. to do that because mm-hmm. all you need is uh something to leak from a lab <laughs> next thing you know you have a global crisis <laughs> yeah that's true Anything <laughs> it could happen, happen. <laughs> i mean maybe <laughs> It's definitely in the realm of possibility. Not like it's happened many times <laughs> before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyways. All right. Cool. Well, let's uh, leave it there. Uh, yeah. Leave you with that question. And have um, a shower and uh, wash ourselves. <laughs> a decontamination <laughs> yeah. shower. Yeah. All right. Peace.